The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network. You are listening to Truth Time with Pastor Monty. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. I do have a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. You want answers? You can't handle the truth! The problem is having the right worldview. And acting upon it. that gives men and women the truth of what is. Welcome to Truth Time with Pastor Monty, a show about God's truth in today's society from a multi-generational pastoral perspective. The Truth Time with Pastor Monty broadcast is a part of Aletheia Bible Fellowship's Project Vigilance, a web portal that provides internet Christians out there with helpful content and insights. We're produced by ABF's Vigilance Radio Network. If you're interested in this ministry or our other shows, you can check us out at abfpdx.org, where you can access more resources, donate, and learn more about us. At the top of the show today, let's remember to help us spread this content by liking, sharing, and subscribing to this episode. And if you haven't yet, go ahead and join our Facebook group where you can stay up to date on this and all our programming. You can find it at vrn.abf on Facebook. Now that all that's said, I'm Pastor Josh, your engineer and senior pastor over at ABF, and this is Pastor Monty. Good morning, this is Truth Time, and I am Pastor Monty, and we are going to continue our discussion where we left off last week as we are looking at what Christianity is as it is represented through the Scripture. And so in the Christ Factor, let's continue with our discussion. Last week we talked about Christianity me being that we um, are ruling with Christ because of our identification with him. This week we're going to continue going through our list of things and looking at the issue that Christianity is um, doing God's will for his glory. Doing God's will for his glory. So when you think of uh, those that are disciples of Christ and those that are living that Christ might be glorified, you would think that this would be a no-brainer. But not necessarily so. There are lots of people that are at various stages of their growth who don't have a clear understanding of what what they're living for. And, And to be sure, many people still... Um, live, try, many people try to bring back from the dead their self. And they live for their self. But Christianity is not so. Jesus uh, explained to us in uh, the book of John, chapter 4, verse 34, um, that uh, he doesn't see things that way. Um, the This is where... Uh, Jesus was talking to the woman uh, at Samaria, at the well in Samaria. And uh, you might remember 
that he had sent off. If you're, if you're familiar with this story, he had sent the disciples to try to find some food because it was time to eat and they didn't really have anything, so they were going to try to get something. And it's, it's while the disciples were out looking for food that Jesus uh, encounters the woman at the well, and he has this discussion with her. And so then the disciples come back, and they're wondering, you know, that, that uh, Jesus doesn't seem to be hungry. And, uh, you know, they tell him, Rabbi, eat, eat. And he says, uh, he says to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And the disciples are going, what, what? Did somebody give him food? What's, what's going on? And he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And Jesus is trying to help the disciples understand that what he really lives for is he lives to do the will of the Father and to accomplish those things that God has sent him to do. In John chapter 9, verse 4, he kind of says the, the, the same thing again. Um... He's talking to the uh, he's talking to the, uh, the the disciples again and and teaching them, and they ask him a question and he answers and said he's asking he's basically asked you know this this individual um, has uh, you know has difficulty uh, because he's blind he's been blind from birth and so the. In Jewish culture, the belief was is that if a, if, a, if a child has some type of a disability, that the parents did something wrong. And that's a, uh, unfortunately, that's a stigma that even exists into this very day. I mean, I remember when our daughter was, was uh, born, and she was uh, born hydrocephalic, and subsequently, um, uh, you know, her deafness came out of that, <laughs> there were individuals uh, within the church that uh, poured forth that kind of idea that, you know, um, what, and, and, and my wife's father, um, who is, uh, you know, I mean, he's elder, he was elderly at the time, um, you know, questioned that and said, you know, have I done something, or is it something that the family has done that has caused this to happen? Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I did not yeah. know that. Yeah, no, it's sad. And, of course, you know, <laughs> my, my theology is on track, so I had no problem with discussing that and helping people understand that's not the case. Do you think it's wrong for people to ask that question? I think that it shows... Like to, to soul search to make sure that there isn't something wrong? Uh, it shows a little bit of ignorance. Well, if, if they're not in your f family, I mean, how do they... How do you... Know, like, I'm just thinking from, if, of that from a pastoral perspective. If, if somebody, if somebody, you know, like as a pastor, if somebody uh, came, to, came to us and they had this, this issue, this extreme issue, and they were praying for it, uh, you know, praying f that it would go away or praying like God's will be done in it. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know that it would be wrong to, to, to tell them, make sure that there's nothing 
that you are doing? The broader issue is, is that what scripture teaches is that all of us are created um, in, in the womb by the hand of God. Sure. And that people who have disabilities, God allows those disabilities to be in place that he might use those disabilities at a later date for his glory. Sure, but we also find, you know, God killed uh, David and Bathsheba's son, for instance. Because the child was born out of sin. Well, we're all born in sin. No, 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 no. But that, that child was specifically uh, a, uh, a child uh, born out of his adultery and murder. And, uh, and the child was not, uh, that was not a good thing. That needed to be eradicated. If you look at the Old Testament, the Old Testament's, uh, God's mechanism for keeping Israel pure um, was eradication. So I don't know if I, like, kicked a hornet's nest here or something. No. I'm not meaning to. But, not, like, no problem I, with like are you saying that their child... Um, was not a person made in the image of God and, you know, therefore deserved of their own ontological essence to be aborted? No, nope. I'm saying that the the David's child, the child of David and Bathsheba... And Bathsheba the first one, before remember Solomon. Remember that David is, the, yeah. David is the king of Israel. Israel is representative of God's people on this earth, and they were set aside specifically to operate within the framework of bringing about God's plan and design. Sure. This child, no way fit within that. As I said, it was born out of adultery and murder, and it was not allowed to live. It's not, with, it's not outside of God's character to allow for kids to live whose well, parents David, David pleaded that the child might live. Right. It was it was no. God's it was ultimately God's will that the child not live. I agree. That's, that's but, why. But that's because of the parents, not because of the child. No, and that's not the issue here. The but issue. that's what I'm that's what I'm asking. It's because of the parents and not the child. So then like is it so what I'm saying is it is not completely outside of the realm of how God works to you know have to pass on to a child something because of their parents. And we even see the third and fourth generation, for instance, sins being passed on. So is it then wrong to ask the question to a parishioner, for instance, as a pastor, is it wrong to ask the question, is there some sort of hidden sin? I think it's wrong to assume unless well, you know. And, and that's, a, and, and that's a, a personal searching that if somebody is convicted that they need to explore that, then that's something they need to personally search. But if their marriage is, um, you know, is within the confines of Scripture, and if they are living uh, as those who are set apart as disciples of Christ, and and they're, you know, they have gone through the steps that we've talked about. If they've and, searched themselves and found no sin in that, then. It's not an issue, right? That's not what I'm asking. And it's 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 and it's terribly. And I will just say that for those people that are looking in from the outside, who are in a particular body, and they happen to see a a, a child that is born with uh, disability or severe disabilities, that it is uh, terribly arrogant and ignorant to assume. 
that the parents had done something wrong. So let's so let's what if um, what if you have a non-married couple in the church who are who you know who have a child and then the child has issues. Would it be wrong to say to that non-married couple that in order to make sure that you are essentially right with God, you know, that that child is born out of wedlock, that child is born with you living in sin, and so on and so forth, and part of you being right with God is and taking seriously your prayers toward him is you getting right with this. And that they and there might be a connection between the child being that way and you not being right with this. Would that be wrong? <laughs> wow, you just want to make it a larger issue. Well, um, I just see it as a larger issue. Well, and and it can be a little bit large if you're if you're talking to a couple who are non-believers. And and the, and the reason why I ask this question is because it's hard when we make the standard the person. Right, it's always going to be hard when we make the standard the person because we're unstable narrators, and so you may say, "Oh yeah, I'm right between me and God, and the only one who's going to know that is you and God." But there are mechanisms in place for us to to know that by. That's one of the reasons why we think Job, for instance, is the oldest book, right? Because there's no mention of the law, and if people were going to accuse him, they would have used the law. But now uh, we yeah. can. Yeah, now we can. Um, my way of approaching the circumstance that you just described would be, first of all, um, you know, to say to those parents, again, that God is the one who gives life, and God is the one who takes life. So if a child is born into an unholy situation, and then these people later come to know Christ and become disciples of Christ they can pray for God to be able to um, help them weather the situation and deal with the circumstance of the of the child's disability. Um, but they neither have the authority nor the power to say that child needs to be done away with because um, because it was brought into the world in sin. It's a different issue than what we see happening with David and Bathsheba. Yeah, I mean, I tend, I think I, I would tend to agree. I'm just, uh, I just want to make sure, like, I, my thought process on it is that God's default position is grace, and so whenever judgment comes, it's pronounced judgment. Yeah, you know, it's not like God doesn't randomly kill people. He wants people to live. He wants people to thrive, and when judgment comes, it's not random. It's pronounced. Yes, as it was definitely pronounced in regard to, to David and Bathsheba. Right. So nobody, um, can't, so God didn't send a messenger to you saying your child is now, you know, your your child's going to be deaf because you did something. That's not really how God behaves. Well, we didn't know at the, you know at the point that the child was uh, was born. The, at the point that my daughter was born, we didn't we didn't know the consequence of. Uh, her hydrocephalic condition, sure, and whether she would even survive that or not, right? Um, so, that, what is hydrocephalic? Water uh, on the brain. Water on the brain. Yeah, hmm. yeah. That's 
Yeah, so like what I'm saying is if you are somebody who has a child, for instance, and there's like a sickness there or whatever, unless you are guilty, unless you are guilty of something, there's no reason to think that it's because you did something wrong. Yeah. Like when you're exactly. guilty, like you know you're guilty, right? right. You, you're, right. you know you have, you're guilty. If you have unconfessed sin, right. you need to repent of that. Confess it, repent of it, and uh, and move on. Right, but unless that happens, unless God sends somebody to you, that that goes basically that person's operating as a prophet. So then they go by the, um, so then they go by the prophetic standards in Scripture, um, you know, and they're going to be true to Scripture and so on and so forth. Then there's no reason to think that you're the reason for that child's, you know, whatever. Right. And the reason we're talking about this is because that was the fallback position of the Jews. There you go. Bring it back. They, <laughs> they, they believe that were the case. And that's the reason why, in innocence, the disciples asked Jesus this question. Uh, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples uh, asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be blind. This is John nine, right? Yeah, the John nine. Okay. Uh, I just I started in verse one. Okay. Um, uh, so Jesus answered and said, "It was neither this man sinned nor his parents. See, neither him or his parents, but it was in order that the works of God might be displayed in him." Right. See, and so that's the default position that uh, my wife and I have always taken in regard to our daughter. That we don't know why she ended up being deaf and and the uh, challenges that came with her deafness, but she's definitely a blessing. Yeah. Well, I think it's the default position that you must take unless told otherwise, which is interesting because when you're told otherwise, it's still that, it's still the same thing. God's God's will is demonstrated regardless yes so it should be the default position and anything else is an addition whenever we add to it that is when you need more revelation that is confirmed by previous revelation and this this is a, an important issue then for believers to understand because there are many believers that have difficulty with this because what it really goes back to then which is a very large subject but what it really goes back to is understanding the will of god yeah. In understanding what it means to be inside of the will of God. And I mean, I have heard many people uh, inappropriately uh, say that, uh, you know, that they have a handle on the will of God. Or that, you know, you're, you're this or that uh, because that's God's will. And uh, nine times out of ten... You need to be very careful when you make that type of a pronouncement because you then are acting as if you think you're some type of, you know, prophet. And there are very strict standards in Scripture regarding prophecy. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, you may be, you may be acting um, directly in the will of God. The problem is, is that there's no new revelation. So the will of God is outlined and it's revealed in and, scripture, right? It's outlined and it's revealed. And so therefore, if you are acting within the will of God and you're perpetrating his will, um, that's going to be confirmable. Right, right. 
So it's a falsifiable statement. Yes, yes. So, so the so the issue then becomes: How do we know um, what God's will is? That's really then the issue. Mm-hmm. Because if our because Christianity is is uh, doing the will of God. Christianity is knowing the will of God and doing the will of God. And the the way that you know the will of God is first of all through uh, being familiar with His Word. Mm-hmm. So understanding who God is and what his character is and then understanding the circumstances that you find yourself in, how does that conform to, uh, you know, to what God's word has to say? And we live in an age where there's lots of confusion about this because we have so many things, uh, I'm going to be careful about how I say this, but we have, we have so many things in the history of man that we are now starting to come up against that um, that were not present in Jesus' day. Sure. And that were not, and we're not present as far as the, the Israel was concerned either. Um, with new technology and, sure. and those types of things. It's not so, new ideology, but no. it's definitely new application and new ways. Yeah, the, 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 as far as ideology is concerned, it, it is absolutely true. The old saying, there's nothing new under the sun. Yeah. You know, for Josh and I can both uh, confirm to you that from a, from a philosophical, theological perspective... Uh, there's nothing new out there. It's just kind of a regurgitating and changing around yeah. various types of things which have been around for eons. Well, and let's let's go even further and say not only is there nothing new, but there are very few actual ideas that are new. Yeah. Well, just any. There's yeah. just, your your ideas are very basic. There's they can all be sort of reduced down to just a few ideas, you know. Mm-hmm. And so we have like thousands and thousands of religions, but really there's only like three yeah. religions. Anyway. Yeah, so but 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 exactly correct. The the application, there's all kinds of new application out there. So what do you do if you're a believer and you're running you're running up against a circumstance where you're really not sure what the will of God is in regard to how you proceed to something? Well, first and foremost you know, you have familiar you you familiarize yourself with Scripture, mm-hmm. and you familiarize yourself with the character of God, whom God is. Where do you think the character of God is most revealed in Scripture? And we got a rhetorical guess out there for me. Uh, let's go with the Old Testament. That's why so many churches. Um, that say to their their uh, their parishioners, well, we're we're under the new covenant, and we're under you know the blood of Christ, so we don't we don't really need to read that Old Testament stuff. Where would you say it is? Like, what's your what's the book you'd say best defines God's character in the in the OT? Well, definitely, that's why I'm I'm headed the direction of the Old Testament because the Old Testament. As you read through the Old Testament, you begin to understand uh, a definition. So, so the first five books of the, of the Bible, sure, the Pentateuch, um, are helpful because of his dealings with Israel. So his his character is revealed in how he deals with his with mm-hmm. with the nation of Israel. So you'd and, say the first five books, yeah, the first five books, and, and then uh, beyond that. Then as you get into the judges, for example, 
again, you have principles that are set aside in regard to his character. So to understand the character of God, my conviction is that as a believer, you need to have familiarity with the Old Testament and read through it. For me, God's character is probably best revealed in Hosea. Mm-hmm. That's the one for me that it's like there you get to see how God actually feels. The other books are the other books are more about how God um, acts, mm-hmm. you know. But yeah, Hosea, and then um, certain passages in Isaiah, obviously. And I can see where you'd, you'd, you'd particularly like Hosea from the standpoint of the relational thing, because you're yeah. more a relational guy than I am. Sure. But but the but. So the Old Testament is where we... Yeah, the point is you can't get rid of the OT. No, no, you can't, and you shouldn't. And it so provides you, the context for Jesus. I, the, like, I don't... I don't this, is, this may be like a, a statement that's going to seem inappropriate, but it, it's really not. Without the Old Testament, Jesus doesn't make sense. That's true. That's true. And understanding the progression... Of, I mean, the Old Testament explains why it is that Jesus was needed to begin with. Yeah, it explains why he died on a cross exactly. for our sins. Otherwise, he was just kind of weird. Yeah, and we're not, and you know, we're not, we're we're not even going to start to get into because we don't have time. But the the correlation between, for example, the uh, the uh, Passover, yeah, and and the communion, and the the death of Christ on the cross, and then the communion. Uh, are just uh, amazing. Or weird things he says, like, you know, that he's the son of man, or where he constantly calls himself I am. Or, right. Like, you know, just, you know, or even the idea that he rode in on a donkey, or that he's the Messiah, or, right. like, none of, it doesn't make any sense unless there's the uh, the Old Testament. Right. So, so uh, I would encourage those of you uh, who are listening to our discussion here that, that, um, Absolutely, you need to read through and be familiar with the Old Testament to begin to understand what God's will is as we wrestle with some of these new applications that are before us. Lucy but, Brown likes uh, Ezekiel for understanding the holiness of God and then Psalms and Job. Mm-hmm, absolutely, absolutely. Wonderful books. So, so but then, on a, so, so our first desire is to... Uh, you know, to understand the character of God and understand how, we, how he would do things. The next thing would be that as believers, we have the overall thought capacity directed towards how will my actions reflect on the body of Christ? Mm-hmm. Is God going to be glorified through what I'm about to do? Um, and, and then ask those, those questions to because remember, as believers... And this, see, it all goes back to that understanding that self has died. And we're not to glorify self any longer. But we are to glorify Jesus Christ, and we are to live to glorify Jesus Christ. And that is the primary issue before the believer. When we talked about, some time ago, when we talked about the Holy Spirit and the dynamics of the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit works in the, in the life of the believer, one of the things that is noted about the person of the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit never brings attention to himself. 
And he always seeks to glorify Jesus Christ through anything that is done uh, via the Holy Spirit. So, well, well, he never brings he never brings uh, primary attention to himself. Obviously, right. like he wrote he right. wrote the Scripture and talks about himself. Right, but I mean, but his purpose is to glorify right. Christ in, yeah. in how it is that he does it does that in the life of the church. Yeah. So you know, those are the questions that you have to ask because this is the position that Jesus took. That in Christianity, uh, our primary goal and purpose is to do the will of the Father. Now, Jesus really, you know, took this position and was was strong about it. Um, read, uh, let's read Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. For those of you out there who, you know, um, think that there, that there isn't going to be a, uh, a, um, quiz, uh, not a quiz, but there's, that there isn't going to be, um, a judgment that oh, comes yeah, about yeah, yeah. even to the church. Uh, you better take a look, see at what is stated here by the Lord himself. Um, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you shall, um, what, 21, I'm sorry, 720. 721. I, Don't worry, I posted the correct I, one. I did a dyslexia thing. <laughs> not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So all these people that are out there saying they're God and they're doing this and they're doing those types of things, but how they're operating is outside of God's will, those people are going to have a surprise when wow. they stand before the judgment seat of God because Jesus is very clear that only those who do the will of the Father, uh, you know, and he goes on to talk about, in the book of John, for example, he talks about the fact that, you know, how do we know um, where we are? Well, because we're going to do the will of the Father. Those, right. those who love me will keep my commandments. So this, then, is one way that we can understand who it is that we are as believers. If you're a disciple of Christ, then you need to be about doing the will of the Father, knowing the will of the Father, and doing the will of the Father. If you look at the Lord's Prayer, uh, you know, our Father who, who has an art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The, see, our, our default position as believers is always that our desire is to do the will of the Father. And that's, and that's, that's what Christianity specifically states. So we're going to end this section of our discussion um, with that, and we'll go on next week and talk a little bit more about um, further what Scripture has to say. Let's take a look-see at, uh, at uh, cultural lunacy. <laughs> Now, in cultural lunacy, we've been doing a little bit of looking at some uh, some of the various words that are being used out there and thrown around, rather loosely to be exact, and ju just to provide definition so that we sure. have a better understanding of what these words are as we hear them being used 
by individuals on the left, by individuals on the right, by social commentators. There's all kinds of words which are thrown around there. And some of them are used correctly, and some of them are not used correctly. And so we're going back to the definition of what those words are to look and see specifically what they mean and then how they apply to us in the context that as believers we might uh, use some of these words. So the word of the day, well, we got two of them, actually. The, are, we, the, are we not continuing the discussion on, uh, weren't we going to continue discussion on? Suicide. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's. Uh, that's, I, you're, you're getting there? Yes. Okay. I'll let you go. Yeah, that will be a continuation of, uh, you know, our discussion okay. here. Okay, go for it. Because um, that was one element that we talked about. Because, see, we covered that, actually, Josh, under what's up with that. Oh, remember. you know, I don't remember. I'm getting old. Yeah, it's okay. I understand. Um, okay, so um, how, how many of you have ever used the word chauvinism? I bet you think you know what it means when you say that somebody is chauvinistic or they're a chauvinist. Listen to the definition of the actual definition of the word chauvinism here. Google, what does chauvinism mean? Here's the definition of chauvinism. Exaggerated or aggressive patriotism. <laughs> what? A exaggerated or aggressive patriotism is the definition of chauvinism? That's what it says. That's what it says. Well, okay, so then um, uh, another uh, aspect of that might be excessive or prejudiced support of one's own cause, group, or sex. So, wow. I mean, when I was looking at that and looking at the definition of that, that kind of blown me away because I have never uh, grown up with an understanding that that's what chauvinism actually means. Well, that's where it came from. I mean, there's yeah, that's where it came from. And, and but colloquial, but, but this is this is used today. If we want to brand somebody a particular way, uh, you know, we call them chauvinistic. Um, really, this could be used for anybody on the right or left who goes extreme one way or the other in their views. Yeah, it's just <clears throat> male chauvinism. So specifically, like. Upping the male machismo, you know, has, um, sure, has sure. become synonymous with the word chauvinism. It's just right. another word for bigot. Well, it's the reverse of bigot. The reverse the, of bigot. But, yeah. But there is also within our culture female chauvinism. Sure. There is also, i.e., the women's movement. Yeah. You know, there. I mean, there is chauvinism on the right uh, in the extreme. There is chauvinism on the left, in the extreme, and basically what, so what this term actually refers to, if it's going to be used correctly, is somebody taking an aggressive, extreme position uh, one way or the other. Yeah, I think the question always has to be asked whether the position is um, unjustified. Yeah. Like, I don't. Like, I don't have any problem with saying that the United States is the best place to live. 
under certain circumstances. There should, I mean, we're finite beings. There should always be an asterisk next to almost everything that we say. <laughs> and then that's the thing. Like, as long as we remember the asterisk is there, generally it's okay. I don't think it should be called chauvinism. Um, yeah, I mean, and you could pick your topic as to what it is that you wanted to look at and see whether somebody should take that position or not. You know, I, I have no problem with somebody stating as you did, for example, but the next question that would come to my mind is, have you lived anywhere else? Sure, sure. And, mean, and, if, and, and, and it's always going to... So do you have a point of comparison? <laughs> it's always going to depend on the asterisks. Yeah. What is, what's the underlying thing that's being said without actually saying it? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, it's like people who, who say that, you know, you haven't really lived till you have children. Sure. Well, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Usually in the negative yeah, is my, the way that's used. My, uh, I hate when people say things like that. My default is, Scripture says that uh, children are a blessing. And the more you have in your quiver, the better. They are, but I've met lots of people who have lots of children that um, it doesn't make them better as people. So. Uh, no, no, no. And, and, and it and, also doesn't make them better parents just and, because they've had kids. No, and, and in part because, you know, there's, a, there's a, a whole issue of your own maturity and how you deal with things. And, I mean, it's just, yeah. It's a, it's yeah. But, but, so, but there are people that take these, these positions one way or another. And as you said, the default is always going to be that asterisk. Yeah, it's, you know, there's not a problem with with the general truth of things. And as long as there's an understanding, I, I think we're too punitive in our, too ready to punish people right. in our understanding of it. You know, language is not meant, language is meant as a convenience tool, like at least co uh, casual language, like not when you are not in a court of law or something like that. And you're not like learning from a textbook or something, but we're just dialoguing. We're just talking. Right. Language is meant as a convenience tool to convey complex ideas. I don't really think that we need to sit there and run through like, you know, pages and pages and pages of definition in order to achieve something that can be achieved very quickly through jargon and colloquialisms. And it to, should, yes, to a degree. Yeah. And it should be okay if there is a common understanding, a commonality of what's going on. So for instance, if you know me well enough to know that I respect women and love women and so on and so forth, if I make a statement about um, man being better, if I make a statement about man being better, then first you should default to the character understanding that you have of me before Throwing, before going to the least likely definition of what I'm saying, which right. is that I think that women should not be respected and that men are ontologically better and all of these things. Like, you shouldn't turn me into a, chauv a male chauvinist in your mind because that's not consistent with what I've demonstrated. Right, right. And, 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 and from a PC standpoint, um, you know, you shouldn't be labeled or branded a particular way by somebody taking what you said out of context. Yeah. You know, clearly, men are better at some things than women are. 
Sure. And the reverse of that is also true. Sure. Women are better at some things than men are. And I would argue more things and, even. And yes. And so, you know, but for point of conversation, you know, these are the types of things. So you're exactly right. Language is something that we use in order to convey complex ideas and to stimulate further discussion as we explore those ideas. So the the uh, so when you use something in a way that is counterproductive and it's going to shut down your conversation. Well, there's the issue, right? Then then that becomes uh, something that you don't want to do. If you are if you're in a position where your language is being examined specifically because of its ability to give off an idea, like teaching, for instance. Right. And you're sloppy with your words, or you're using language that's inflammatory because it carries along with it several asterisks of implied meaning, then shame on you, you get what's coming to you. Right, you need to take the time to add some definition to where you're coming from. But if you're the recipient of that type of language, then it doesn't hurt to say, well, can you, what, what do you mean by I'm being chauvinistic? Have you followed the whole, um, is it Jeff Yang? Jeff yeah. Yang and yeah. SNL, the whole thing with that? Yeah. How they fired, how SNL hired and then fired this guy? No, no, I'm thinking of the presidential candidate. It Yang. is the presidential candidate. Is it? So, yeah, so this guy. Um, uh, the one that wants to give $1,000 to everybody? That's the guy. I'm for that. <laughs> so th- this guy, um, <clears throat> Chili's or Gildies or something. I don't know. He's an SNL. I'll look it up. But anyway, he, um, he in his stand-up, you know, he was making fun of Jeff Yang. And he made a, um, he made a racist, like a derogatory racist remark. Right. Um, calling him the ch word or whatever right because he thinks he's a comedian and he has license right well technically uh, according to the law unless he's inciting violence he does so anyway unless it's a call to action he does especially in comedy oh yeah yeah you know i get it but there's a whole nother subject we can talk about about you know yeah right well it's a whole cancel culture thing so yeah um but so snl fired him, this guy, Shane Gillis is his name. Okay. They fired him because he wasn't politically correct enough. So they hired him. He hasn't been on the show yet. He's going to be one of the new people on the show. And then he fired him because they went back and looked at his stand-up. Now, mind you, SNL is filled, <laughs> filled oh my goodness, with yes. stand-up comedians oh. who have potty mouths like no other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that's weird. Um, but with that said... Like, they, they did that. And Yang's response to this was, um, he said, I'm new to politics, but I certainly wouldn't hate to be judged by something I did 25 years ago. And I think that our standards have become unfair and we've become unduly vindictive and punitive. Um, no, I, I, you know... And he's exactly correct. I, I don't, uh, there's lots of things I'd like as a, if you listen to uh, Mr. Yang talk, um, there's lots of things that he addresses 
which are fairly reasonable. He has a level head. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. He I doesn't have a snowball's thought. chance in hell in becoming the next president. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I haven't listened to him. But this is so. This is and so he said this. So I did what came naturally naturally to me, which was I sat down with my wife and I actually watched some of Shane's comedy and just tried to get a sense as to who he was and where he was coming from. Yeah. After about forty five minutes. They talked about it, and he said, we both thought that he was not evil or malignant or really hateful yeah. in actually advocating for any kind of racist ideology, that he struck me as still figuring, uh, as a still-figuring-it-out comedian from central Pennsylvania who told some terribly offensive jokes. If anyone should be offended, it's me, and if I don't think he should lose his job, then I should probably Give say something to back. that effect, because yeah. maybe it would make a difference. Absolutely. And I think that that's... You know, that's refreshing, but I think that's what we're talking about right. is as somebody who, <laughs> let me tell you, I have, you know, been preaching now for 15 years and there's a lot of evidence of the things that I've said. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and if I was a person who cared about offending people versus upholding the gospel, um, there's absolutely no way that I could ever <laughs> get into politics yeah, no, because the things that I've said are offensive, yeah. even though they're not meant to be offensive. Um, what a terrible reality that we live in. Yeah, no, it's very, very difficult for people who are in the, the limelight. For, well, for anybody to, who says anything like we do every week, we're saying things online. Because you can get branded six ways from Sunday. Because people don't put the asterisks next yeah, to anything. Exactly, exactly. Okay, well, let's move on so we can get to this, this right. one issue that yes. we want to finish up. So the other word of the day is, uh, well, hey, listen, if you, if you don't like going to a masseuse, this is not the word that you would use. Okay, I don't know what's you know, coming. Misogynist. Oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, That's the, what we call a homonym, right? Yeah, the definition for a misogynist is somebody who doesn't like women. So we hear this thrown around quite a bit. You know, that, that certain people are misogynists because they don't like women. Um, and they're, you know, they think somehow women are of a lesser class or, you know, they, they're aggressively angry against women or what have you. Uh, we see that term thrown around a lot uh, and the reality of it is is I I don't know in in we've talked about this before from a scriptural standpoint look you're if God created you a man that's wonderful if God created you a woman that's wonderful too there's no men and, and, and if you're confused look down there's no question about how God created you. Now, how you want to identify, that's another topic altogether. I, I mean, so the definition here, Merriam-Webster's definition, is dislike of, contempt of, or ingrained prejudice against women. Yeah. I just don't like that definition. What you, is that? Well, you wanted to expand on it? Do you think? Well, I just don't like that definition because ingrained prejudice. Look, we have ingrained prejudice toward everything everything right yeah. everybody has bias anybody who tells you they don't is expressing their bias yeah my ingrained prejudice is against, <coughs> is against kale sure so and prejudice like prejudging something um like sure of course there are things i what's the adage that they say sometimes 
and see, I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but don't trust anything that bleeds for seven days and lives. The oh, I've never heard that before. No, <laughs> you've never heard that? No. No. Um, and I'm old. I've heard a lot of stuff. <laughs> it's a joke. <laughs> but, but no, the, you know, like, uh, there are lots of reasons to distrust women. Equally, there are lots of reasons to distrust men. Yeah. Equally, there's a lot of reasons to distrust parents. Equally, there's a lot of reasons to distrust children. And so on and so forth. It's actually the species that we distrust. Humans? Yes. Well, we distrust animals, too. <laughs> so the point I'm making is, like, I, I'm worried about a definition like that where somebody can be labeled simply because bias is innate to our species. Mm-hmm. Like, it is, you know? Yeah. So, like, the issue isn't... it. The issue is resolved by education. It's not resolved by labeling. Right. And, and, and there are going to be some of the, you out there, uh, I, I personally would take this position. It's, I don't believe that I'm biased against anything um, except kale. But, but... So you may not feel that you're necessarily biased, but what Josh is saying is correct. And even if you're not biased and that you're overt about it, you still have preferences. Well, and then there's and also... Those, those preferences uh, are going to, in somehow, may affect your um, standing towards what it, that preference is. Well, and there's also like an implied... Um, an implied value judgment that doesn't need to be there in certain situations like this. Like, for instance, like a man who, I don't know, opens the door for a woman, mm -hmm. you know, is that misogyny? Because maybe he opens the doors in the room. A man who carries the books of a woman home. Chivalrous. Is, is that, yeah, in one generation, that yeah. would have been viewed as chivalry, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. Not because, not because, uh, it, the implication isn't that he has something against dislike or contempt of, but that he views her as precious mm -hmm. and therefore something to be maintained. For instance, I am not, I, I am not uh, misogynist wouldn't be the right term. I have no bigotry or contempt or dislike of my children, but I'm not going to have them bring in, you know, 20 pounds of groceries. Right. Right, they couldn't carry him. Right, and, and it would be ridiculous to do so. So is is that me showing prejudice against them? Um, yeah, it's rightful prejudice. Right, it's right. not dislike or contempt. So I just I think that again, these terms are there specifically to avoid the asterisks that need to be there. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so so that so those are two more terms that you can uh, cross off your list if you if you if you're keeping a list. Uh, you know what what we see happening in our society today is that people are using these terms as a mechanism of branding people. Yes, which is what I was just saying. I just want to point out Lucy Brown just noted that the joke that I made was a bad joke. <laughs> And I agree, for the record, I did not come up with that joke. I was quoting a bad joke, <laughs> and I don't believe that, that we shouldn't trust women. Okay. The end. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Lucy. So, so, the, so 
I think we just need uh, most of the way that these terms, and that's one of the reasons why we're going through them, is to gain an understanding, a clarity for how it is that they, what they actually say. Um, unfortunately, and Josh said this earlier, it is so true, we live in perilous times when it comes to language. Many of these terms today are used as in a counterproductive, negative fashion in order to brand people a particular way. And, and as believers, I think we just need to be, uh, there are two things that we can do. First of all, well, there are three things that we can do. First of all, have a clear understanding of what the term is that you want to use. And then couch it in such a way that, uh, that it's used correctly, or if it needs clarification, provide clarification. Or if it should be even used or, at all. Yes, yes, or, yeah. or is it appropriate to even use it. And then the second thing would be that we want to, as much as possible, make our conversations productive. This falls back to where we were in the Christ factor. We, we want to make our conversations productive uh, so that uh, Christ might be glorified in how we interact with one another. Right. And, and so this would be the, the goal that as uh, disciples of Christ we would have. You understand language, use it appropriately, use discretion, should I or should I not? And then, you know, ask yourself that question, is Christ going to be glorified or not? Right. Let's go ahead and close out our session today with a, a further discussion of what we were talking about last week when we were talking about this issue of this pastor who committed suicide. Sure. It doesn't really feel right to play the what's up with that music for that. So. No, you don't need to do that. But that's what it fell under is what's up with that because of the fact that he, he, he was specifically in charge of, he was the pastor of a thousand plus people. Yeah, I think it's 1,500. Yeah. That, I don't think he was the head pastor. but well, No, no. He was part of the pastoral team according right. to what I read. But, but the thing is, is that these people were his responsibility. Sure. And, and one of the things that we talked about last week, which maybe we could talk a little bit more about, just for um, conversation, well, for understanding, is that what happened is when he committed suicide, um, he flipped the narrative. Yeah. Which was, which was highly detrimental we're not we're not listen when we when, in in the body when you're a member of the body of christ and you're covered by christ's blood you the issue of whether you're saved or not is a done issue because you're not the one who made that possible yeah Christ shed blood is what makes it possible for you to be a member of the kingdom of God and a disciple of Christ. So, so the whole point of learning to, of, of sanctification and learning to walk then as the disciple of Christ is learning how to do things in such a way that as we just talked about, you can glorify God through how it is that you live. And so this goes back to what we talked about earlier, and we have talked about, and I don't mean to be harping on it, but listen, according to Scripture, you are to be dead to self and alive to Christ. 
and and what happens is is when we when we we focus our lives on various behaviors which end up glorifying self and 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 we allow that to become the distinctive distinctive narrative of who we then are because we identify as this particular type of person i'm a drunk i can't help myself i'm and you know i'm 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 addicted to drugs i can't help myself i'm i'm depressed um i'm uh i'm uh I'm bipolar mm-hmm. what you know what whatever it is we've got this culture out there where people love to identify with their selves that are dead and as believers and so and so what really disturbed me about this whole thing that uh, and so this pastor then is basically saying that the and this may seem harsh but this pastor is essentially saying there is no victory in Christ in your life as you live it today there is no victory in Christ because because he committed suicide that, am I being too harsh? Do you... um, no, I don't think that that's too harsh an assessment. I think it now leaves us with a difficult, um, a difficult burden of how we deal with people who are struggling with those things. And I think the key is in what you said and what we've noted that he, um, he identified more with a sin issue because that's what it was. It's a sin issue. Um, he identified more with a sin issue than he did with Christ in his life. And um, I was reading a statement. I just looked it up. It's on the Christian Post. I will um, I'll send you a link right now for you guys to check out. But this is what he said in a blog about a year ago. He said, as terrible as it sounds, mental health issues can lead many people to do things they wouldn't otherwise do if they didn't struggle. If you don't believe me, I'd encourage you to get to know someone with PTSD, Alzheimer's, or OCD so that you can better understand where I'm coming from. As someone who struggled with severe depression throughout most of my life and contemplated suicide on multiple occasions, I can assure you that what I'm saying is true. The reality is you wouldn't dare say that someone who died of cancer is going to hell just because of their illness, would you? I hope not. Then please don't assume someone who died of suicide via severe depression is going to hell either. Both are illnesses. Both can lead to death. And I think what you're hearing in that, when you're really taking it and listening to it, what you're hearing in that is him saying that suicide is the cause, is, is I'm sorry, that suicide is caused by depression and therefore he fell victim right. to his depression. Right. But there's a, there's a couple, um, what is it called? There is... Yeah, I'll get to that, Elu. Um, Elu just asked, how much responsibility falls on to the believer when they're being misled by their leaders in the church? Um, that's a great question. Hold that thought. Um, so I think that a large part of, of what he just expressed you know, a year ago in his thought process um, was a misunderstanding about what uh, depression is. Mm-hmm. And 
this sort of game of restructuring things, not to say that he's playing a game, but there is a spirit of the age that yes. plays this game. Yes, definitely. Um, that restructures the way that we look at things. And it says that drunkenness, which is a sin, is um, alcoholism, for instance. Which is a disease. Yes, and that anxiety, which is a sin, like we are told, be anxious for nothing, but instead pray for everything. Right. Um, in all things, keeping your mind focused on God, um, you know, and on what is pure and what's lovely. And then the peace uh, that surpasses all understanding will be with you. That is a call out of a sin lifestyle where we're anxious for everything. So anxiety, which leads to depression, which leads to like all of these things, right, leads to suicide. Well, that's a sin. It's a sin path. Now, that's not to say that people don't suffer for from it. Of course, people suffer from inclinations towards sin. Right. That's what the scripture says clearly, but that's exactly what Christ saves us from. And the problem here is just like the problem with, you know, somebody who suffers from same-sex attraction. Right. They, when somebody suffers from same-sex attraction and they ascribe to themselves that their identity is now founded in their sexuality, in their same-sex attraction, rather than in A, being made in the image of God, and B, whether they're saved and are now restored to being made in the image of God fully, so whether they're a Christian or not, right. but instead they place their identity in their lust or their inability to control their lust, well, that's a sin issue. Yes. So it's not to say they don't suffer from it. It's not to say that they don't have to deal with it. It's not to say that it's uh, easy or anything like that. Those things are not trying to take those things off the board or achieving the experience. I think that the reason why Jared Wilson, um, I think that the reason why Jared Wilson succumbed to to his depression is not because depression is a biological state that you cannot help but succumb to, but because he had the belief that what he was dealing with was not a sin issue, but in fact was something that was more powerful than. Um, than God's victory and God's victory deals with sin. And that, and that well could be one of the dynamics that we then have to deal with, um, in trying to be true to the word of God, um, because of the difficulty of our current society where, um, we have, we definitely have a narrative that runs through our society that is victim related. Well, yeah, and, and like that everybody's a victim of, of. I'm not responsible. I'm a victim of. It's this. a victim mentality. It yes. is, and you know, let me tell you, like when I counsel people who have who have anxiety, I don't counsel them away from the fact that they have anxiety. Right. They have anxiety, no sure. doubt about it. Yeah. But the solve for that is there. You know, if you have anxiety, it's a worship issue. Right. If you have. Drug issues, for instance. So if you have anxiety, it's a worship issue in the fact... Sorry, it's not a worship issue. It's well, a sovereignty it is. issue. It is, but yeah. It's an issue of uh, focusing on God right. and having those doors of communication opening. Focus on what he can control, not what you can control. Right. If you have an issue with alcoholism, it's a worship issue. It's a focus on you treating alcoholism like it is God. 
Mm. You know, you wake up every day for it. You want it. You make sure that it's in your life. You bow down to it. You structure everything around it. You lose mm -hmm. relationships for it. You give all your money to it, so on and so forth. That's you setting up alcohol as if it's an idol. Mm -hmm. So it's a worship issue there. All of these things are issues that can be dealt with through the scripture. Right. And not understanding that, not understanding that Christ has victory and, and sovereignty in all of these places in our life is what goes to the failure of those things mm -hmm. and, and gives the victory to those things. And I feel bad going back to LU's question, how much responsibility falls onto the believer when they're being misled by their leaders in the church. I feel bad for him because clearly his theology is something that was um, apparently not only uh, um, not only not only understood within his church, but celebrated. Right. And so he had a whole ministry that was built around teaching people, you know, these these little truths about depression and so on and so forth. That Christ brings comfort to you, and that and that this is a, this is a part of your identity. But I'm not meaning to be callous, but you are a new creature in Christ. Right. It's not a part of your identity. Right. It's a part of how you identify, right. right? But you need to change your identification, start giving a new narrative, and understand uh, that it is something that's creeping in on you. That's how you deal. For instance, if you're dealing with... Um, if you're dealing with extreme anxiety issues working themselves out as... Um, uh, man, what am I thinking of? It's where people have to touch lights and have to... Oh, yeah. What is that called? Um, uh, monkism. Monk no, it's not called monkism. <laughs> Excessive compulsive disorder. If you, if, you, if you have extreme compulsion, for instance, you know, the way that we deal with that in psychology, in like um, DBT, for instance, and CPT, cognitive behavioral therapy... Like the way that we deal with that is we treat that as a thought that is trying to creep into you. It's a, it's a, it's a thought that your brain is telling you, but is not real. Mm -hmm. The problem here is that we're treating this as if it's a real thought. It, like even, that's not even sound in, in, in psychology. Right. Right. And, and, and so what I, I think to do justice to Elio's question, I, 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 we're going to take up and try to wrap up our discussion next week uh, in regard to this because it is there's a lot of things to unpack and and uh, we're not seeking to diminish in any way as Josh stated the issues that people deal with but but listen one of the things that 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 Josh and I try very hard to do is to present to you a comprehensive uh, theology which is in tune with what Scripture has to say. Right. And clearly, this pastor's uh, theology was not comprehensive. It didn't take into effect all the aspects of uh, the things that he was dealing with in life. Sadly. It, it is sad, yes. Sadly, it didn't address the whole man. Yes, it addressed yes. some of the man and then and then outsourced the others to modern psychology. Right. And and we're here to tell you that Jesus Christ ministers to the whole man. 
Yeah. And 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 that's that's what we learn from scripture. So Elliot, we're going to uh continue to uh because your question is a great question. Uh unpack that and put this all together uh next week and finish up this particular discussion. That's what I've got for uh Truth Time with Pastor Monty today, and uh, I hope that you've benefited from this discussion. All right. Um, okay. Well, yeah. On that note, not the not the greatest note, but <laughs> but on that note, if you're someone who's seeking answers or you want to know more about your faith, if you're new to Jesus Christ or the Bible, we want to help you. So check out the help tab at abfpdx.org, and remember that we are always open to questions. Pastor Monty is ready and waiting to deliver some sage advice and insight, so don't be shy. And um, remember that this is a resource for Lathia Bible Fellowship of Portland, Oregon, and a webcast on the Vigilance Radio Network, which is a resource developed by Project Vigilance, ABF's web portal that provides helpful and interesting online resources for the church local and at large. And we do a lot of things here. Um, if you want to be a part of the VRN and what we're doing, join the Vigilance Radio Network's Facebook page and get access to all of our shows, including this week's show, um, which is cross-examination cross-examination on sunday it's going to be the last cross-examination for a long time actually so we're trying a new format for season three because this is the end of season two here um it was going to be the last one for the year we're trying a new format uh next year cross-examination is going to come back in a big way and it's going to be uh probably six episodes in a one week setting um and that's not going to take place until October. So if you like cross-examination, you're not even going to get to see it till October of next year of 2020. I can't believe we're there. <laughs> um, so, you know, pay attention to this cross-examination. We'll be dealing with uh, the subject of creationism versus, you know, evolutionism. Evolution. Yeah, evolution. And um, talking about that. And if you have questions, you can always hit us up with the hashtag CrossX. Any questions, you know, young Earth, old Earth, creation, Darwinism, evolution, how that all works. Are we Dinosaurs. from monkeys? Dinosaurs. That's a great one. Um, and, uh, yeah. So check out all of our shows on the Vigilance Radio Network. That includes Culture and Sanity, Cross-Examination, The Upper Story, Tiles, The Young Lectern Series, and, of course, Truth Time with Pastor Monty. When you do that, you can watch things in real time. And if you've enjoyed Truth Time, consider supporting us. Our network and shows are free to you, but they're not free to us. So you can head over to abfpdx.org and click on the Donate tab. You can also donate to us through the Cash App, through Venmo, um, our uh, Google Pay, Apple Pay, Google, Google, Google Pay. Yeah, Google Pay, Apple Pay, our... Um, our call sign or whatever is ABF PDX. I think on cash app, you have to put a dollar sign in front of it. I'm not sure, but it's ABF PDX. So, you know, help us out. Give us a couple bucks so we can make sure to, uh, make your program look good and be accessed. Um, and we'll put it to use. If you're poor like us, that's cool. You can still partner with us by liking and subscribing and sharing this podcast and this show, which you can always find on ABF's YouTube page and Instagram and Facebook and the VRN Facebook group. And take a second to visit those so you can stay up to date whenever we share new content each week, which is shared on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. And we will see you then. I'm Pastor Josh, your engineer and senior pastor over at ABF. And this has been Pastor Monty. The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. 
You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network.